Happy Thanksgiving. Sam and I are taking this week off to be with our families and to get ready for Advent. Remember, Advent is a penitential season in which we strive to die to the world with the goal of attaining new life in Christ. Don't jump into Christmas right after Thanksgiving. Plan on what you are going to do and to prepare yourself for the coming of Christ at Christmas. Unite yourself to the church during this Advent season. In celebration of Thanksgiving, we are going to replay the first episode that we ever did, Four Temptations Every Man Faces, and how to defeat them, because one of the ways to defeat a certain vice is to be grateful. God bless you this final week of the liturgical year. We hope you enjoy. Please keep us in your prayers. As men, we're constantly faced with temptations, but not just temptations, temptations unique to our masculinity. Right, in this episode, we're gonna go through four temptations common to most men. And then with God's grace and some practical habits that we can form, we're gonna learn how to overcome those temptations. Before we get there, we're going to start yeah. with today's handshake, which is that a man always opens the door for a woman. Yeah, well, isn't that um, somehow sexist? That uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no. We, as men, we don't believe that a woman right. is incapable of opening the door right. for herself. Uh, women obviously have the physical strength to do That's such right. a thing. Um, however, it's just a sign of respect. It's just one more way to reveal to a woman her dignity um, as a daughter of God. And just opening that door is just a sign of respect. That's um, right. It's a very simple gesture, but um, there's a lot of meaning there. Agreed. Something we encourage all authentic gentlemen to do for both uh, the women in their lives as well as uh, their daughters and um, anyone they come in contact with there. All right, so we're going to go into some sensitive topics today. We're going to talk about temptations. Temptations that Sam and I likely have both uh, experienced to varying degrees in our life. Hey, uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I'm invulnerable to temptation, just so you know. That's the truth. Uh, so, but before we get there, uh, we want to thank all of our Patreon donors, uh, past and current. We want to thank you for your donations. This wouldn't be possible if it weren't for you, so thank you. I uh, want to uh, say we've got some great, exciting tiers for any potential new Patreon donors. If you're discerning, we'd love for you to go over to catholicgentleman.com slash Patreon. Check out the different offerings. We could uh, use your help and are, are grateful for even your consideration. So, so when coming into temptations and talking about temptations, I'm reminded of uh, some comfort that I had received with a priest who was counseling me mm -hmm. when he informed me that temptation is friend to the faithful. Mm. So I really had to think about that and that temptation is friend to the faithful and how that, how true that is, is that when we are tempted, we are given the opportunity to choose the good mm. or to choose Christ in all those situations. Yeah, and it's almost as if God wants us to make the, that choice. There's mm. there's virtue in choosing the good when you're tempted by something else. If you're never tempted by something else, it's difficult to say that the virtue that you possess is in any way significant or meritorious. Um, and you think even about our first parents, Adam mm. and Eve, you know, and, and how they were, in a sense, fully virtuous um, at least far more virtuous than most of us. Yeah. 
um, they had that unique, um, those gifts of grace that most of us aren't born with. Um, and yet they still, even in their kind of paradisical state yeah. there, they still had to face a temptation yeah. and overcome it. That's right. And of course they made the wrong choice and, yeah. and, and kind of plunged us into sin and death. <laughs> but the point was that God, there needed to be a test. There needed to be a test of that virtue. Um, and that's an aspect of our, our gift of freedom of freedom yeah. as creatures. Yeah, absolutely. And I am grateful for that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of free will that we have. I also think of that saying of St. John Vianney. It's one that's been on in Catholic memes, uh, sorry, Catholic gentleman meme uh, that just talks about that it's these battles against hell that uh, in temptation that we're able to prove our love and as men that really calls to us this idea of battling but also this idea of proving and so god gives us those choice uh gives us these choices on a frequent basis within temptations Mm -hmm. and um and we until instead of to look at them despairingly or um with anger you know but to look at them as opportunities and a challenge to to something greater that's right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we can take a, a victim mentality towards temptations. Mm. Like, I really would be virtuous. I really if, would be a saint if I never experienced temptation. Amen. And man, these <laughs> temptations are such a nuisance. Yeah. You know, why is why is why am I experiencing these things um, that are so difficult, that are so hard for me to overcome? Um, but really, they're they're opportunities. They're rungs on the ladder yeah. to sanctity, um, and um, God wants us to overcome those, and He gives us the graces that we need. He doesn't leave us without help. I mean, Scripture says we'll never face a temptation without a way of escape. Yeah. Um, so, no matter how difficult a temptation may be, there always is kind of a way of escape that God has given us. Um, but we have to make that choice. Right. We have to choose the path of virtue, the path of holiness, um, and that's not always easy. No. So. Not at all. And I agree. And I think uh, you're, we're already talking about when we approach the subject of temptations, it's about hope. It's about taking heart. Uh, we all battle. We all experience them. We know that Christ himself was tempted in the mm-hmm. desert and he uh, showed us by example uh, and by choice virtue on how to overcome these temptations. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and I think that's such an important point because often we conflate temptation with sin. Mm. We yes. often think that to feel the pull towards something sinful is in itself sinful, which is not true. Yeah. Sin only occurs in the will. That's right. And if your will doesn't make that choice to consent to that sin, then it's not sinful. Yeah. And, and that's proven by the fact that Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, yeah. in a sense, to show that temptation is not equivalent to sin. Um, and Christ you know, overcame every one of those temptations. Um, but the devil was uh, kind of uh, defeated in the sense that if he thought that by tempting Christ, he would by default be making, leading him into sin, uh, he was totally wrong. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I know we're going to go deeper into that, but this idea of intention and consent, yes. you know, will come up frequently, but uh, no intention. I didn't mean to do this. I don't know why my mind thought this. I don't mm-hmm. know uh, how this is happening to yeah. me. Um, but 
if we can avoid consenting to those thoughts, those sinful um, ideas or uh, potential actions, uh, then then we are victorious. That's right. Then we're not sinning. And so I think that's what a great thing to start out with is talking about the difference between temptation and sin, because there really is a difference. And I would say in many individuals' spiritual uh, immaturity or, or lack of maturity, is that uh, sometimes the two are confused and and Satan will absolutely want to do that to bring us down and to uh, bring us to despair and, right. and lacking of hope. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So as promised, we're going to talk about four common temptations that men face as well as the contrary virtues that we can choose instead. So the first temptation we're going to talk about is one that's probably... Uh, forefront in your mind already, but lust, temptation to lust, uh, which is something that I think every man struggles with. It's kind of every man's battle. There's a book out there called Every Man's Battle. But it's true. Like, I think we get so bound up by shame, Mm -hmm. uh, by the idea of of struggling with lust, that we tend to think, well, it's only me. I'm the only man who's ever struggled with lust. Everybody else is a, you know, the pinnacle of virtue and never struggle with you know, lust of the eyes or or those uh, temptations of the flesh. Um, It's just me. And so we just can feel awfully lonely sometimes when we struggle against that. And yet, if we're honest, I think every man would say, I have struggled with lust at one point or another in my life. Yeah. Uh, If you have a pulse, you've probably struggled with lust at some point. That's right. There's a a priest friend of mine who uh, said, you know, even priests uh, have this struggle and mm-hmm. have this temptation. Oh, sure. And they said that there's a saying in the seminary that it ends when you're six feet under. And <laughs> so we understand as men that this temptation is very real. Yeah. And this this idea of, you know, a, a desire to, uh, I guess, carnally possess, um, you know, and inordinate desire or, you know, uh, a female or, you know, things of that nature is something that we all, we all struggle with and we all have to put appropriate, um, uh, roadblocks in place to, Mm -hmm. to help avoid that temptation from growing into sin. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, that desire, lust is, you know, can be simplified that to simplify definition, it's just the desire to, possess and use another for your own gratification at the expense of themselves. For sure. Right? And if we think about the temptation to sexual things, what we're doing is essentially starting by dehumanizing the other, saying they don't have any feelings or or desires of their own. They're simply there to serve my um, desires and and pleasure, et cetera. And so that's why, for example, pornography is so popular. Yeah. Because you don't care who that person That's is right. on the screen. You don't care their story, their emotional state. You don't care about their uh, discomfort or, or suffering in any way. They're simply there to gratify you. Yeah. Um, and that can often also be the case with uh, you know promiscuity. Yeah. Even though it's, yeah. it's not virtual, it's not um, on the screen, it's likewise saying, I have no commitment to you. I have no covenant of love with you, which is what marriage is. Yeah. I simply am going to use you for my own gratification. And then when I'm done with that, I'm going to move on to someone else. Yeah. Um, that you know, That's kind of the hookup culture. That's right. right. And it, mm. it starts with dehumanizing the other, though, um, denying the reality of their internal experience 
um, uh, so that you can use them more conveniently for yourself. Yeah, and part of this hookup culture is also the fact that sex sells. Yeah. Temptation yes. is everywhere. Right. And I, I remember when I was younger and struggling this with this very deeply that every single magazine in the grocery store checkout aisle was tempting me to lust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was um, despairing. I was struggling. I, you know, I was uh, just all frustrated with anger. Again, mm -hmm. though, confusing temptation with sin, right. because in those moments, it wasn't that I was, you know, daydreaming or staring at these, these images mm -hmm. of magazines. And, um, but it was, uh, something that was just causing me intense frustration. He also reminded me of St. John Paul II's very famous quote with pornography is that it's not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little right. because it's dehumanizing the person on the page. You right. don't care what she wants to be when she grows up. Right. Uh, you don't care what it is that um, has caused them to be in this horrible situation right. that they are you know, exposing their, um, you know, um, self in such a way. And so I completely, um, you know, agree with the importance of, of understanding and of, uh, putting things right, you know, when it comes to these women that are on the page. And, right. and so, uh, also with, uh, this temptation, we're important to talk about that. We're not talking here about addiction, right? right. And obviously we just started speaking about pornography and, right. and even, you know, uh, images on billboards and in magazine, you know, magazine covers in the grocery aisle. Uh, we're not talking about addiction here. We are talking about temptation. Right. And so I know there's a, there needs to be a clear divide with an individual who's struggling with addiction and um, individuals that are just frequently tempted. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and two, you know, addiction is a very complex topic, mm -hmm. which we'll, you know, maybe save sure. for some other time. Yeah. Um, but but the point is that that team that the reason it's so powerful is because it's so easy. That's right. You know, one uh, casual glance can very easily turn into something much more lustful. Yeah. Whereas you know, a lot of other temptations are a lot. Um, we're much more aware of them, or we might have a more of a inner resistance to to them. But yeah. for men, especially, you know, it's just a hair's breadth away. And we really need to be careful with that because, yeah. um, you know, again, we all have supercomputers in our pockets that can access pornography at any time. That's right. Now that doesn't mean that, um, again, this is, we're not talking about addiction here, but, but that does mean that temptation is that much more real yeah. when you realize that it's that easy. Yeah. It's that easy. I mean, there, someone used to have to put forth a lot of effort right. to find pornography. I mean, yeah. they used to have to go to some seedy little truck stop somewhere, <laughs> you know, off the highway or, you know, somehow or another get a hold of a yeah, you know, pay a somebody who's older than them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And, but now it's just so easy. So the easier it is, the more potentially dangerous it is. And I just think as men, we need to take it very seriously and realize that yes, while our eyes may be naturally drawn to skin, that's just how we're made. Yeah. There also is a sense in which it's very easy to cross that line yeah. um, and compromise our virtue. And then once you start down that path, it's very difficult to stop. So we need to take it seriously. We need to be aware of ourselves. But but you know, let's talk a little bit about the contrary virtue of yeah. chastity. Amen. Because that really is the solution. Again, you know, we we don't want to just be against things, we need to be for things. And if we're just against lust, 
but we're not for chastity, then we're ultimately going to fail. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about chastity. Yeah, agreed. So when it comes to to chastity or to lust even, you know, it's important to remember that within these temptations, we are ordered as such. You know, we are ordered to the beauty of woman. Mm-hmm. And we are ordered to uh, to recognize women as mm-hmm. beautiful yeah. and and as complementarity to you know our opposite yeah. and and that beauty can be rightly ordered with chastity mm-hmm. right that um, with the virtue of chastity to grow and to respect the other in their full dignity yeah and that can be. Um, that can take many shapes, but it can be difficult for us to uh, overcome in the moment. So I think it's always important within chastity to be praying for it, to be praying um, uh, that in these moments of temptation that you might have the right means or the right methods to to avoid and to recognize the other that uh, is causing these temptations to lust as a human, as fully dignified themselves, and mm-hmm. and likely in needing of your prayers, yeah. you know, in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and chastity, too, you know, if you think about uh, us as kind of a, a vessel for God's grace mm. and for that divine life that God wants to share with us, um, unchastity or lust yeah. really punches us full of holes yeah. and all that energy that God, that grace that God wants to share with us just kind of leaks out and lessens our effectiveness in the spiritual life. Um, but chastity, on the other hand, um, that means that all that energy is conserved, all that grace that God's pouring into us every time we receive the Eucharist or every time yeah. you know we pray, all those graces that God sends to us, they're all conserved. Yeah. And we grow in strength and power. And yeah. so chastity really is the fundamental virtue in the spiritual life. And if you can't, if you're wondering why you're not advancing the spiritual life and you're also struggling with lust in a, in a big way, then that might be your answer is that you really need to focus on the virtue of chastity above all else before you can really begin uh, to advance in the spiritual yeah. life. It's not that God wants to punish us. It's just that we also have to start making uh, choices that conserve that spiritual energy that That's God's right. imparting to us um, so that we can grow and flourish. Yeah, and, and, and how do we maintain a chaste life? And one of those ideas of maintaining a chaste life is knowing yourself, knowing where the occasion for this temptation could present yes. itself as innocent as a grocery store or as... Um, as uh, tempting as, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning when you're checking your email, you know? And so knowing these situations and avoiding the occasion for Mm -hmm. lust is a huge um, deterrent from from falling into it. And it's something that we do often have control over. Right. And and another example of that, just kind of knowing yourself, is... Tune into your emotional life. Mm. A lot of guys don't pay attention to this enough just because guys don't like emotions and feelings. But the truth is we have them. Um, And they can often be triggers for the temptation of lust. So, for example, you had a bad day at work. Your boss was on your case. The project you were working on was late or whatever. Um, You just had a bad day, a stressful day. That can often trigger us to feel that temptation of lust all that much more tempted, or right. all that much more intensely. 
Same thing with anxiety, anything else. You have a fight with your wife. Yeah. Um, you know, you're feeling in a bad mood. You are looking for some relief. Yeah. It can be a big temptation or a trigger for lust. So just know yourself. Just know your emotional state. Know what triggers you yeah. um, so that you can take steps to respond accordingly or, or to kind of uh, find ways to shore up that exercise uh, a virtue uh, in your life. Yeah, agreed. You know, and another way that um, hopefully some of our listeners are practicing regularly, but I bet many of our listeners aren't even aware of, is the approach uh, came coming back way into the monastic tradition of custody of the eyes, custody mm-hmm. of the eyes. So with that is the ability that when you know billboards are coming along or you know these uh, items in a grocery store aisle or Walmart checkout aisle are going to be there, that you fix your eyes on something else. You fix your eyes on the road in front of you. You fix your eyes on the cart that has your food Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And you don't allow yourself to uh, allow your eyes to drift. So mm-hmm. being in control of your eyes or custody of the eyes is something that can really help us avoid these occasions. But it often takes frequent reminders. Yeah. Oh, I should have been practicing that. That's oh, right. I allowed myself to wander. I lost my attention. Right. You know, And bringing that attention back to that which you are in control over is really important. And it's also important to remember... While it may be incredibly difficult at first, the practice of chastity right. or the custody of the eyes or these different things we're talking about, yeah. they start out hard, but they get easier. Yeah. And that's what virtue is all about, is making it, making the practice of chastity or these other virtues so so habituated, yeah. so habitual, that we don't have to think about it that's anymore. Right. So at first, it might be a tremendous battle, mm. but then... One day you realize that the magazines or whatever your triggers happen to be aren't tempting you anymore. You've established the practice of virtue, and that makes it making that choice for chastity that much more uh, natural to your being. Um, The other thing I was going to say, just kind of in conclusion on this, this issue of lust, was that if lust begins by dehumanizing others... Yes. And denying their dignity, chastity begins with humanizing others yeah. and acknowledging their dignity. Amen. There's a wonderful story of a saint in the early church, and I wish I could remember his name. Um, but it, he um, saw a beautiful prostitute one time yeah. um, as he was walking through his city. And he saw you know, um, all these guys going in at her door. Yeah. And his heart went out to her. And he just kind of wept internally for... Um, all that she was being or suffering and being mistreated by these yeah. men. And so he decided to do something completely radical, which I don't advise, yeah. by the way. He started going to her himself and paying. Um, and But when he would go in, he would just sit there and tell her about the love of God every night. Yeah. Um, and when, uh, and he would do this day after day. He would go and pay to, for her time and then he would completely respect her. Wow. He would not touch her. He wouldn't come close to her. He would just tell her that Jesus loved her over and over again. One day someone saw him coming out of there um, and they said, you know, look, he's going Scandal. in and visiting, you know, yeah. and they ended up like excommunicating him or something. Well, then the prostitute came out and said, no, um, she like broke down and had a profound conversion and told wow. everyone about uh, the 
incredible witness that he had been to her. And so he was restored and, and then she ended up having a profound conversion herself. But the point was he revealed to her her dignity when so many other men had just simply used her and denied her okay. humanity. Um, he showed it to her and he showed her the love of Christ. I think that's awesome. And that's the goal. That's what we're talking about yeah. is this ability by putting these practices of virtue mm-hmm. and habit forming virtue in place that we are able to recognize the dignity mm-hmm. and the beauty in another, right? We were able to admire it, but not seek to possess it. That's right. You know, and so I think that's uh, a really great point. And, and I got another story of St. Pelagia, but we'll save that for another time. Okay. And I think that's really great. So, um, okay, so moving on, we've got another temptation mm-hmm. that often tempts men in different ways in different periods of their life. But that temptation is the temptation of greed, is the temptation to want more, um, to want what others have, or to want to control uh, the uh, you know the funds that you do have, so that and keep on amassing more, That's more right. and more wealth. And That's stuff. right. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, greed is actually closely related to lust. Yeah. You know, lust is the desire to possess a person. Uh, but greed is a desire to possess material goods. Yeah. And I think this is, um, you know, why is this uniquely masculine temptation? Well, I think men always have a desire to build and to prosper, mm. which is kind of how God designed us. Men want to grow their wealth. They want to provide for their families. That's just how we are ordered in a sense. It's part of our vocation to provide yeah. uh, for our families. Um, or if you're in a position of authority to you know, provide for your, your city or those under your command or whatever the case might be, we just have an inherent desire to build and yeah. to grow uh, financially. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when that desire gets disordered yeah. and it loses sight of the good, it loses sight of other virtues like moderation, um, it very quickly turns into avarice. Yeah, avarice, excellent. Uh, So uh, for those of you who see the seven uh, deadly sins on the church wall and you see avarice, uh, that is the sin of greed and likely something that you have suffered with, but maybe not recognize the name. (laughs) And so another thing with greed is that outward um, impression that you are successful, right? When you have... Uh, a lot and you possess a lot you feel like it gives you a status in society you're finding your worth in the recognition of others that's right and you feel like the more you have the more people recognize your um uh your your uh growth and your your um your strength and your might and things like that and so it's often a temptation for us when we, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or we see other people that have these these nice things is is to want the same. And I know I'm not talking strictly about envy, but when we're talking about, although they're closely related, but when we're talking about um, but this greed, yeah, it's this idea that the more I possess, the greater I am. That's right. And, and so I just got to keep on that tally board, keep on adding up so that I can be greater. And why is greed so dangerous? You mm. know, like, well, it's wrong with having a lot of money, like someone might think, say, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, but what it does is it cuts us off in some ways from dependence on God. Yeah. In the Lord's Prayer, um, the Our Father, Jesus clearly says, give us this day yeah. 
our daily bread. And when you have, you know, $3 billion in your bank account, okay, most of us aren't going to have $3 billion. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you're depending on your bank account and the wealth that you've amassed, yeah. and that's where your confidence lies, you're no longer trusting God in the way that someone perhaps with less means yeah. may have. Now, again, that doesn't mean that wealth is inherently wrong. Yeah. It just means that it's potentially very dangerous for us in the sense that it can tempt us to reliance on ourselves rather than reliance on God. The perfect example of that is the rich young man who came to Jesus. Yes. I love this parable because the young man had all the right instincts. Yeah. He said, I want to be saved. You know, I've, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. Yeah. And what else can I do? And Jesus gives him a few more things to do. You know, and he says, I've, I've done that. Yeah. What else am I lacking? Come on, like, give me something That's hard right. here. And Jesus said, all right, give up all your wealth. Give it all away and follow me. And he's, he couldn't do it. No. He couldn't do it. He wasn't ready to follow Christ in that radical way. And that that's the temptation of wealth as we come to love it. At first, it, or maybe feel neutral towards it. Well, it's yeah. nice. It's nice yeah. to have a few a few extra, you know, $1,000 in the bank account or whatever, which we kind of need as family yeah. men sometimes. But then once that takes hold of us, takes captures our heart, yeah. becomes an idol, then it balloons into something entirely different that can cut us off from God, potentially. Yeah, agreed. And I think the thing with greed is that it grows, right? Yes. It's something that starts small. And there's a great story that Leo Tolstoy wrote. It's a um, uh, short story that's, uh, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Um, or some variation on that title. And the idea was that this man, Pahom, was able to amass as much land as he could walk around in one day. So he had to start at one spot and then he could walk a huge circle or square or rectangle or whatever the case might be. And as long as he ended back up on his spot uh, before the sun went down, he could keep all the land mm. that was in front of him. But what I think is so um, uh, unique about that story, but so true about greed is that as this guy is walking around, he keeps on seeing temptations. Yeah. He keeps on seeing this temptation. He sees this watering hole and immediately thinks, that would be perfect for my cows. And so I'm going to take the extra half mile or whatever it mm -hmm. is to take that direction. But mm -hmm. then as the story progresses, you start seeing how he can use other people right. to amass his greed. And so he sees uh, a land that's not very rich in soil and it's not going to be good, but I bet you I could sell it to poor people and they could do whatever with it and I can make money <laughs> off of those. And by the end of the story, uh, Pahom does not make it back. He's right. running, 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 and he falls down dead six feet from where he began. And I believe that that's a really good thing for us to reflect on in our own life is where are these areas, these little small temptations sneaking yeah. in uh, to greed, to want more? Mm -hmm. You know, is it um, this uh, this this lottery ticket? Is it this, you know, um, uh, next uh, working overtime to, right. to get just a little bit more? And, and where are these little occasions for mm -hmm. greed setting up? Um, because if they're not kept in check or kept in control, then it becomes um, an addiction. It becomes something that turns other people away from us mm -hmm. uh, because we become a miser, we become Scrooge, yes. we become rude. And 
those are the opportunities in those small things that we have to to um, cut them off at, at the pass. So. That's right. Yeah, and it, it's funny you mentioned Scrooge because yeah. I, I love that story. It's so powerful because um, in the story, Ebenezer Scrooge was originally uh, a just a young man who wanted to get married. Yeah. He found his fiance. He loved her, and he just wanted to provide for her. A noble goal, right? Yeah. I mean, we all want to provide That's for right. our spouses. But it took hold of his heart, and the more he started making, the more he needed to make. Mm -hmm. And before long, he no longer was interested in his uh, spouse, or his fiance, I should say. He had lost his first love, so to speak, and it came to love money yeah. more than that human person who he originally was just wanting to provide for. Um, and that's a temptation that, that we all face. And I think, too, that when you look at um, the... Uh, the, the danger of money is simply, mm -hmm. it's never enough. No. And I heard someone say once, if you don't define what enough is, you'll yeah. never find enough. Very true. And you'll just keep searching. More and more and more, it will never be enough. Um, so we all need to kind of examine our hearts and ask ourselves, what does enough look like? Yeah. When will you be content? And if you can't answer that question, then you may have a problem with greed. That's right. Thank you. And I think that this is a great opportunity to talk about the opposing virtue uh, to that vice, which is greed or avarice. And that virtue is generosity. That's right. And it's living with that uh, generous heart. And I like to talk about gratefulness as something mm -hmm. that can uh, that we can experience generosity in these moments uh, uh, by being grateful for that which we have. Mm -hmm. And so anytime something new comes along, anytime you know, your child smiles at you or you're able to look lovingly uh, on your wife or you're able to, uh, to be thankful for the house and uh, what comfort you have now and truly mm -hmm. being grateful to God and offering up that gratefulness is a great way to start practicing generosity and also a great way to be a happier person. Yeah. Well, that's true. And it's funny how some of these basic principles of the moral life yeah. have been confirmed by, you know, psychology and research sure. like that. Um, I mean, they say that, that gratitude uh, dramatically increases your quality of life and your happiness. Mm. Um, you know, G.K. Chesterton, I almost said saint, but I meant G.K. Chesterton once said, um, you know, that, that uh, thanks... Thanksgiving yeah. is the highest form of thought. Yeah. And, uh, and then gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Wow. And I think it's so true. When we see everything, every breath we take, every beat of our heart as a gift yeah. from God, that gratitude, that wonder spontaneously wells up in our hearts. Sure. And in that case, we don't want more. We don't need more because we're thankful for what we already have. Amen. Everything else is just a bonus. Yeah. You know, oh, thank you, Lord, you know, for this extra thing that I didn't need, but that you gave to me anyway. That's, right. that's a radically different attitude than the, the kind of black hole of greed that's never satisfied. That's right. Uh, and I think it's important to set reminders up in your day-to-day -day operations mm -hmm. to be grateful because the noise is so strong and we can be so focused on a task uh, that we forget to live gratefully yeah. and we forget to um, even offer up one bit of thanks in a given day. Yeah. And so set up those opportunities for yourself where you can be grateful, even if it's just every noon, every three o'clock, I'm going to have a bell ring on my phone and I'm just going to offer up 
think back uh, earlier the day and find something I was grateful for. And again, when we start cultivating these virtuous practices, when we start cultivating this virtue, we are able to um, overcome or at least put in check those areas of greed that uh, will, will always be, you know, nagging at us. Yeah, so. yeah and I, I fortunately have a planner that I use every day oh, great. Um, that has a gratitude section in it. <laughs> so as you're planning your day and writing all of your to-dos, that the next step on the planner says, I am grateful for, yeah. and then it has three blanks. And just building that into your day, like you that. said, gratitude is a practice. Yeah. And the more we do it, the more grateful we become. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you've ever experienced the opposite, but um, I think it's impossible to be greedy and grateful at the yeah, same time. I agree. Um, and if you're grateful, you're not greedy. You're thankful. That's right. You feel content. You feel blessed. You feel radically blessed yeah. for all that God has given you. Um, and so, it's yeah, it is a practice. It's something that we have to cultivate. But again, it's the path to freedom freedom from greed. Yeah, I completely agree. So a final thing when talking about generosity is the the obvious that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking of, and that's just practicing tithing, (laughs) practicing giving to others. Generosity. Generosity, living with a generous heart by giving forward, right? So we have received all from God. Uh, God has given us life generously. Mm -hmm. He has sustained our life in, in currently in this conversation that we're having and uh, till this date. And we have that generously from God and we can give that forth. And one way that we can do that is by any sort of monetary means, right? Um, Or, you know, giving of your time or, you know, I'm a trumpet player. So if I uh, play at church, you know, without cost, like these sort of ways are that we can um, practice that virtue of generosity so that it grows within us. That's right. Yeah. When you feel... When you feel blessed, you want to bless others. That gratitude naturally and spontaneously overflows to gifts towards others. Um, Not only do we not want to possess more, we want to give more. Um, And I think that's a a beautiful reality, um, especially when we look at the needs in the world. Um, You know, as I drive, we drive around our city. Um, there we often see homeless people, yeah, um, and they don't have a roof over their head. Right. And a lot, a lot of times they sleep under freeway bridges and things like that. Uh, yeah. um, and so then you go home to your house, which perhaps you were feeling comparing yourself to others, you were feeling discontent with. Well, so and so has a nicer house from me. Maybe we'll upgrade in a few years, you know, right, or something like right. that. Well, I mean, that's that's the voice of greed, right? right? Like. It's never enough, never nice enough. There's always someone with something bigger, something nicer, something fancier, um, and you just feel that restless discontent. Well, the opposite of that is saying, wait, I have a beautiful home. I love this home. And there's someone else who doesn't even have a roof over their head. I've got to, I've got to give to them. Like I've got to, you know, and you just, that generosity just kind of spontaneously comes to the surface when you're grateful, when you're thankful for what you have. Amen. So moving on, on to the third temptation. So with the third temptation, and this one is often the most repugnant to be around when you, <laughs> when, when somebody is consumed by this temptation, uh, but it is a temptation that we all struggle with. I know I certainly struggle with, and it comes out in different ways for different men, but that is the temptation of pride or power. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we all would love yeah. to just sit back in our easy chair and just command thousands of people to do our bidding. That's right. You yeah. know, <laughs> um, that's, just, that's just something in a man that just wants to kind of rule. That's right. Be the lion, the head of the pack. That's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's not necessarily inherently wrong. Right. Um, it's not wrong to desire authority. In a sense, God has given every man... Um, you know, an inner, an inner king. You know, That's an right. inner uh, ruler. Um, that it just has to be channeled in the right way. Right. We have to uh, use it in the ways that God has ordained. Um, and regardless of that, though, the point is that power can very easily consume it us. Uh, it's a, an adrenaline rush when you get a promotion and you finally realize you've got 10 people working under you. And some guys just get addicted to that adrenaline of commanding others. Um, And you see this a lot of times with our political elites or even, you know, business corporate power. But, you know, like the politicians just goes to their head, oh, I'm a senator. Yes, you know, finally people admire me. People look up to me. People hang on my every word. That's right. And it becomes this... Uh, this deeply addictive uh, temptation to uh, lord it over others to achieve the maximum results with the least amount of effort. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, and uh, yeah, maximum amount of results with the least amount of effort. And then to um, have it in such a way that we can lord it over other people, Uh, to have that power or that status where, I do. I manage 10 people and $1 million in, you yeah. know, uh, expense, whatever the case might be. Um, also, it is a sign that, um, sorry, we're going to cut my little bit there, but um, I want to talk about idolatry. That's what I was going to go for. So I think it's also important when we talk about pride or as I was alluding to at the beginning, arrogance, you know, which, which, you know, can be justified as confidence in many situations, we have to really look at the intent and heart of ourselves yeah. or as the person. And we have to ask ourselves, are we choosing our will mm-hmm. over God's will? Are we even thinking about God's will? Yeah. Is that even going through our mind? Yeah. Or is it our will? Is it our our ability to control our environment in the setting mm-hmm. that we are placed in? Are mm-hmm. we able to... Um, humbly accept whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I love the the story of uh, of uh, Saul, the first king of Israel. Of course, uh, he went and, and hid. He didn't want to be king. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best rulers are those who don't desire to rule. Yeah. Um, but those who are ambitious that are seeking. Um, and, you know, to, and, you know, when you talk about power, like pride is actually kind of like a byproduct of power. Like yeah. someone would be given a position of authority and start out very humble. Of course. Yeah. And, but then it goes to their head and they become incredibly yeah. proud. And again, pride is saying like you were the opposite of what you were saying. My yeah. will be done rather than God's will be done. And that's something that was originally the first sin. Yes. Uh, exactly. That was, that's what landed Satan in hell, right? Was <laughs> saying. Right. I will ascend. I will be greater even than God himself. That's right. Um, I want my will done above all rather than God's will. Uh, And that's what led uh, to the fall. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
you know, we've got all of this deeper understanding now of pride and power. We are uh, vocalizing it. I think that's so important. So for our listeners, if it's something that you're struggling with, find a spiritual director, uh, talk to a close friend, mm-hmm. you know, bring it up to them. You know, we bring it to light and, and it starts lacking uh, some of its control over us. And so, you know, we have pride that's constantly tempting us, but what is it that can help us overcome pride? Or what help? what is it that can help us overcome being arrogant or haughty and not being a pushover, right? Because I know that that's often a struggle in the heart of men, and it's been one that's been my struggle, is that how do you... Um, be a confident leader, mm-hmm. but not a pushover where people can just walk all over you, right? Sure. And often in our black and white uh, culture, or at least our desires for black and white, we find ourselves looking for that. And and it seems like if it's not this, then you're obviously a pushover. Yes, and, yes. And I don't think that's the case. So you Yeah. Know. Well, I, I heard so, uh, someone say once, I think it was actually Jordan Peterson, oh, that okay, he yeah. was talking about how... Um, uh, a, a, a good man doesn't mean he's not a dangerous man. It just means he's a dangerous man that happens to be good. In the sense yeah. that, not dangerous in the sense of violence, but simply in the sense of um, you have the capacity to be great. Yeah. You could be a great leader. You could be a great ruler, but you've chosen the path of humility yeah. um, and you've channeled in that, that, that strength that you may possess yeah. towards the good of others rather than to your own good, right. um, which I think uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have those qualities that make for a great leader. Um, I think that's the difference is, is saying, yeah. well, I'm, I'm weak, I'm worthless, I'm pathetic. You know, that's, that's not really what we want. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, men who, for, for, as far as the world concerned, could be tremendously great. Yeah. But they've chosen the path of humility. Look at our Lord. I That's mean, right. he had all power in his hands. Yeah. He was God himself. You know, when he talked from the cross, he said, you know, the 10 legions of angels could come down uh, and rescue me. But, you know, he had chosen to uh, that path of humility and self-sacrifice. Um, so he, if anyone was authoritative, if anyone had the ability to be the greatest, most, you know, megalomaniac leader sure. in the world, it was Christ. Yeah. But that was completely contrary to his nature. And he laid all of that aside for our good. That's right. Uh, and that's what he calls us to. That's right. And calling on this virtue of humility, uh, we see in Christ that example where he was choosing God's will be yeah. done and not my own. And so that's the reverse. We talked about pride is choosing mm-hmm. my will over God's will. Mm-hmm. But within humility, it's not necessarily that we don't know we are a leader. Mm-hmm. We um, we can't be a leader. Mm-hmm. It is taking the active choice to subject our will mm-hmm. to the will of God's. Right. To unite our will to the will of God's first and foremost. Yeah. And I think that is a great point in bringing up to how we can all practice in that virtue of humility is daily praying the Our Father with intent, praying it with sincerity, um, thy will be done, 
and that we also take many moments throughout the day. I know I do. I know I'm constantly asking, at least in the morning, during the rosary, um, and sporadically throughout the day, for Lord, help this be your will. Help, help my actions be in uniformity with your will, and if they're not, then I don't want to do them, right? I don't want to take this avenue. I don't want to take this approach or take this path or consider this um, promotion or whatever the case yeah. might be um, if it is not done with thanksgiving and, and that uniformity with God's will. Yeah. Well, I just love reading the Gospels and just seeing yeah. how bewildered the disciples were by Jesus. Yeah. Because if you look at all of the Messianic prophecies, if you don't read them carefully, they can often come across sounding like Jesus was going to be, or the Messiah was going to be a political savior. He was going to save Israel from its humiliation under the Roman yoke. You know, right. He was going to throw that off. He was going to be a great earthly temporal ruler. That's right. But then over and over again, Jesus just turned everything on its head and his disciples didn't get it. No. You know, they, they, he said, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And they're like, what? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. No. You're going to Jerusalem and throw out the Roman. Correct. Area, you you know, need the, to have that power. Yeah. yeah. And you've got all power. Like, come on, use it. Let's yeah. go. Uh, and Jesus just over and over again said, you know, the Gentiles love to lord it over each other, but it, it will not be so among you. Yeah. The greatest among you will be your servant. And then his last act yeah. before his passion was Holy Thursday. That's right. He, it's, the scripture says he, he took off his clothes and wrapped a towel around him. I think symbolically that's saying Jesus laid aside his authority, his yeah. mantle, his clothing yeah. of authority. He laid that aside and took on the job of the lowest servant. You know, washing the feet was like the most humiliating job yeah. for any servant. And always the youngest, the most inexperienced yeah. servants were the ones that did that. Yeah. And... You know, it was so offensive that Peter at first said, you're not going to do that to yeah. me. You're not going to, you're not going to wash my feet. Yeah. You know, you're the king, you're the Lord. What are you doing? You know, and Jesus said, it's so essential to my ministry and my um, identity, what I'm trying to tell you, yeah. teach you, that if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part with me. Yeah. Um, and then he, when he was done with that, act of incredible servant leadership he then said as i have done to you so you do to each other yeah you turn everything on its head right every uh, concept of power that they had he For turned sure. inside out um and showed them that the way up was the way down yeah um the way down was the way up right um and the, all the great saints of the church throughout history have followed Christ's example. absolutely the humility just abounds in the, in the lives of the saints so Praying for humility, one great thing, but one great prayer that I know we've both talked about uh, together that we both appreciate and enjoy is the litany of humility. Oh, yeah. So if you've never prayed the litany of humility, I strongly encourage you to pick it up. It uh, can become a daily prayer of yours, especially mm -hmm. if this is a temptation or a struggle of yours, is that litany humility is, is the perfect um, uh, counterbalance. It's the perfect offense uh, for, for the temptation of pride. That's right. Well, moving along, we're going to talk about our fourth temptation, a final temptation that we're going to address today, and it's that of materialism. Uh, when we talk about materialism, we're not talking about material goods like yeah. we already covered with right. greed. We're talking about the temptation to deny the reality of the spiritual world. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that's something that we tend to do as men. And again, why? Yeah. Well, a very simple potential reason for that is that women can um, tend to be much more inward. Mm, they yeah. find it easier. I'm not saying every woman, and again, sometimes this takes practice, but for women, just kind of instinctively, they're more naturally inwardly focused. It's easier for them to think about things, to contemplate things, to perhaps even be silent. Um, but for men, we're outwardly focused. Yeah, We're focused towards action, towards doing, right. towards, again, towards building, towards growing, um, towards protecting. We're, we're focused outward. Um, and uh, that can often uh, cause us to lose sight of the reality of the spiritual world because we don't make room for perhaps that silence and introspection yeah. that is necessary to hear God's voice. Um, and it can be a temptation for us to think that this world, what we can see with our senses, right. that we can manipulate, um, is the world, the only world that exists. And that's, that's right. How often true. is it that in our hearts and in our minds, we uh, we are tempted in that direction? Uh, for me, it happens uh, really at moments where I wouldn't expect it, but that exact same sort of, this is all we've got, you know, mm -hmm. let's make the most mm -hmm. of it. And let's, um, you know, let's, let's continue moving forward, climbing the ladder. Let's continue working long hours, you mm -hmm. know, with hopes of some sort of future unknown success, yeah. because that's what we are orienting our minds and our hearts towards instead of uh, what God is calling us to. Right. It's a temptation towards the good life. Yeah. Which doesn't the sound as bad, life. but yeah. just... But just saying, you know, well, when I'm 60 years old, you know, maybe I'll have a big house right. and a nice car and I'll have a legacy to leave my kids. And that'll be, that's great. That's all yeah. I need to do as a man, you know, and from a temporal level, if that's all you believe in is just this world, yeah, then that's enough. Right. But uh, that's a temptation for us, man. But we have to recognize that um, this is just kind of a passing uh, uh, temporary, yeah. but eternity is forever. Right. Um, and so we need to acknowledge the reality of the spiritual world. The other thing that I was going to say was that we live in a very desacralized world yeah. in the sense that in previous times, people were much closer to nature. They were much closer to kind of the miracle that is the natural world. Yeah. Moreover, they were had festivals, church festivals, the church liturgical year shaped their consciousness in yeah. a way that was much more powerful than we experience now. Now the kind of festivals we celebrate are like Black Friday right. and, exactly. and uh, you know, Cyber Monday and things like that. Um, but, you know, when, I'm not saying people in the past were perfect by any means, but I'm saying there was a sense of the sacred yeah. that permeated even everyday life. Like things like hot cross buns. Have you ever noticed right. how there's like a little cross in it? Yeah. Well, it's because there was, they were celebrating something sacred in the, right. in the very act of just eating bread. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of lost that sense of that everything is sacred in the modern That's world. That's right. It's very hard to be aware of God's presence when you're in Costco or Walmart surrounded by concrete and tile and, right. you know, advertisements everywhere and sales and things like that. It's very hard, difficult for us to be aware in our media-saturated sure. culture. Of God's presence. That's right. And so that is this opposite to materialism, is that knowledge of God and that love of God. That's right. And that's what we have to work towards. I remember reading Frank Sheed's Theology and Sanity, which I'm a huge proponent of. So if you haven't read it, pick up a copy. Uh, but Frank Sheed's Theology and Sanity, 
he talked about how God created everything ex nihila out of nothing, Mm-hmm. And he sustains everything in this active moment right now out of nothing. And so each of us, those listening, um, everything around us is being sustained right now by God. Mm-hmm. Because if it wasn't, since it was created out of nothing, it would return to nothing. And I remember just big aha moment in my life. And in in that, he he says that if just like the sun peeking over the mountaintop and looking down at the valley below and it bathes everything in the sun, if we don't see the world as God bathed, we're not seeing it rightly. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing it with true sanity. Yeah. And so that knowledge of God that um, that we need to work towards is something that can really bring us to this understanding and this appreciation of all that God has created. And actually, so many of the other um, virtues start falling into place as well mm-hmm. when we see the world rightly. And I think that is something that we all need to be focusing on and all need to be praying about. And then this goes back to a theme that we've talked about of silence, right? And of attention. And so that we can, we have to take time each day to grow in our knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And by growing in our knowledge of God, Mm -hmm. we can grow in our immensity of love for God. Because the more you know about something or someone, or in this case, God, the more you can love. So... Yeah, and we, we often live in a, a two-story universe in the mm-hmm. sense I heard a priest say that once, that we live in a two-story universe in the sense that we think that God's out there somewhere yeah. and we're down here somewhere. And, you know, God isn't intimately present with us at mm-hmm. every moment. But uh, that, that's radically not true. Right. Uh, God is everywhere with us at every moment. As the Eastern liturgy Eastern Christian liturgy yeah. says, you know, God is everywhere present and filling all things. Yeah. Um, so God is always with us. You know, Brother Lawrence with his his great spiritual yes. classic, The Practice of the Presence of God, he said, you know, what's the secret of sanctity? It's just being yeah. aware of God's presence at every moment. Yeah. Um, whatever happens to you, wherever you happen to be, um, God is with you all the time. That's right. Um, but we just have to become aware of it, train ourselves to be attentive to God's presence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to talk about different ways that this can be practiced or lived out. And I know that one way for me is obviously every time my family passes a cemetery, we always um, do the sign of the cross and pray for the souls in purgatory. Every time we... um, you know, at three o'clock, we pause and we think about the hour of, of Christ's suffering, and we will say a prayer at three o'clock. Also, little practical ways, if you're driving in front of somebody and they're annoying you, say a prayer for them, mm-hmm. right? If you run by somebody that um, looks like they're having a tough day, stop and say a prayer for them. Mm-hmm. If somebody is rude to you or somebody takes the Lord's name in vain, put on that spiritual discipline of saying a prayer for them because the more that we do those things the more unified we are with our um uh fellow humans and other people around us but also the more rightly we are ordering ourselves and the reality and the sanity in which we live in yeah yeah and and to just 
just simple practices like saying uh, the saints, you know, they, call, they used to call them in the old days, you know, ejaculatory prayers, but essentially yeah. spontaneous prayers, prayers that you repeat throughout the day. Yeah. Um, uh, an example of that would be, again, we're just kind of drawing on Eastern Christianity here, yep. but, but the Jesus prayer is yep. a beautiful prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. Just repeating that with with your breath, like all day long. I do just it all brings, the time. calls yeah. to mind God's presence in your heart um, and with you at all times. Yeah. Um, and a, another practice would, would simply be um, when you see something beautiful, when you see something good, yeah. give thanks to God. That's so, right. for example, I see a beautiful cloudless blue sky um, or an incredible sunset. I just, I've kind of made it a habit to just say, glory to you, O Lord. Amen. Glory to you. You know, just repeat that simple phrase, but it's acknowledging God's presence um, in kind of the external icon of the of the the physical world that we see. Um, God is always with us. That's he's right. not somewhere way out, far away, eons and eons away. No, He's right here, right now, uh, and we just have to recognize. That. That's right. And since we are incarnational beings, these practices that we're bringing up through each of these temptations and their corresponding virtues are so important for us. It's why the church has the statues. It's why the church has the sacraments. It's why the church has the smells and bells um, is because these sort of things are practices and disciplines that we can put in play right here and right mm -hmm. now to grow in these virtues. And they're actually necessary for us to grow in virtues to overcome vice. So um, we encourage all of our listeners and praying for all of our listeners uh, to, to grow in these virtues. All right, so thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we want to finish this episode with uh, our nightcap. And in this nightcap, we're gonna talk about shoes. And we're gonna talk about how a gentleman knows how to wear nice shoes, or at least knows how to polish the shoes they have so as to look presentable. So one thing for me, Sam, and I know uh, you agree with a lot of this, is um, I like the authentic. And so, for instance, the shoes that I'm wearing right now are um, nice uh, brown shoes, but they're leather, and they're real mm -hmm. leather. Not they're vegan leather. Not right? vegan leather, no. <laughs> not faux leather. So yeah, exactly. They're real leather. And, um, and you know, they last a lot longer. Yeah. I never have to worry about these falling apart mm -hmm. or soles flipping off or things like that. They're much uh, nicer made. And these ones are not overly expensive, right? You can go to DSW, you can go to Famous Footwear, you can find nice leather shoes that are not, uh, you know, Italian leather that are going to break the bank and things like that. But they also add a flair, I believe, yeah. of, of gentlemanliness. Yeah. Too. And I see the sole stitched on there, not glued. So yeah. that means it's going to last longer. And and you can actually take a quality pair of shoes and get them repaired. Yes. You know, we live in this disposable world where everything, the second it gets damaged in any way, we just throw it in the trash. Yeah. What a waste. Agreed. You know, something of quality you can take. There's a little shoe repair shop right down the street from me. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a, f a funny little old guy in there. He's probably 85 or something, but he's still just... Repair shoes, and that's his Praise business. God. But, but of course, you're not going to take, you know, a fifteen dollar pair of shoes from Walmart no. and get them repaired because they'll probably just disintegrate. Yeah. But a quality pair of shoes or boots, you can get them repaired, and it's it's totally worth it. That's right. 
As we end all of our episodes, remember to be a man, be a saint. Thanks for watching.